Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. This week, we are answering more reader mail. Yay! We love reader mail. We are going to answer a letter about cheating and infidelity in romance, and another letter that features a reader's ethical concern about male-male romance and heteronormativity. We also talk a little bit about what we're reading, what we've read and not liked, and what we've read and enjoyed very much, including Jane's epic reread of many, 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 many books for her post on exaggeration. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast about where you can purchase this track and who the artist is and all of that other interesting stuff. If you have questions you want to email us, you can send us an email at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. I also want to thank those of you who reviewed the podcast on iTunes as a reviewer. I forgot that you could do this, but some of you gave us some really nice reviews. Thank you very much for that. And now, on with the podcast. So this letter is from, I'm hoping I'm saying this right, I think it's Maisha, or maybe it's Maisha. Whatever it is, I'm sorry if I said it wrong. And she wrote, Lately, I've seen a fair amount of non-historical books featuring cheating of some sort. Used to be that the cheating you'd find was a no-good cheating ex-husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. Now one or both of the main characters are cheating. Either the hero or heroine is cheating on their significant other to be with the said hero slash heroine. Sometimes the cheating is explained away with the other party being part of an arranged marriage or already cheating on the person with somebody else. Yet it still leads back to cheating. Not to mention some of these situations may not involve physical cheating, but at least emotional cheating. Personally, I'm not fond of cheating. It can throw me out of a book. This happened most recently in Strange Academy by Teresa Wilde. Nowhere in the summary did it mention that he had an arranged fiancé. It would have been nice to have that information dropped relatively early in the book instead of after all of the mutual attraction, etc. I suppose this focus on cheating in books shouldn't be that much of a surprise, considering the popularity of historical romance novels. Those were always full of mistresses, not just in the hero's past, but present as well. The hero usually broke up with the mistress part of the way through the book, either during or after wooing the heroine. Do you think this element of cheating in non-historical books is a way for some author to capture the idea of mistresses found in historical romance novels? As far as non-historical novels, the only time I see mistresses mentioned is usually in a Harlequin Presents as part of some billionaire's entourage. Thanks for all the great podcasts. So I forwarded that message to Jane and I said, do you want to discuss this this week? And she wrote back and said, cheating is fine. So I'm going to take that as you like all of the cheating and we should all send you cheating books. Is that right? Not. I think <laughs> um, I think infidelity, both emotional and physical infidelity, is um, in a, uh, an angst uh, issue. I mean, it creates instant emotional turmoil. Yep. And it's a, it's a turmoil that can carry over um, for the length of a book. And so I think it's an easy way for uh, an author to bring in um, emotional uh, c- conflict. Uh, and I have seen it much more recently in contemporaries, particularly these young contemporaries. And I don't know if it's a, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, I think, fan fiction-based stories or writers who have been influenced by fan fiction so I do wonder if there's the love triangle um, is being explored by these writers 
based off of like the Vampire Diaries or uh, the Twilight series. It's really not my favorite. And I notice on other boards, it's not other people's favorite either. <laughs> In fact, um, on the Amazon board, there was a pers- one of the very first questions anybody asks when a book is brought up is, is there any cheating in there? And some people won't read it. Some people will read it only if it's emotional cheating. Um, but uh, others don't want to read it at all. I have a difficult time with it. One of the books uh, that has been really popular is this S.C. Stevens book's um, Thoughtless, Effortless. And I her latest book is coming out in March, I believe. And I can't recall the name of it right now. But that whole book, especially the first one, is all about cheating. I had this long email discussion with another reader about this because it really bothered me. And uh, particularly what happens is that the girl um, moves to uh, where her boyfriend goes to college. And they've had a long-time relationship. And the um, boyfriend up and moves, takes an internship um, a thousand miles away, doesn't consult her and just kind of abandons her in a, this place where she moved to be with him. And, uh, she's living with his friend and they develop feelings for each other. And eventually those feelings turn into something physical, but she never tells her boyfriend and she actually never breaks up with her boyfriend. Um, eventually what happens, and this is spoiler, (laughs) you might want to skip this. Um, the boyfriend finds out and breaks up with her and the, you know, it's complicated because they're all friends. You know, the boyfriend's friends with her lover who's friends with, um, her. And, and so the, the triangle is really, um, complicated because there's obviously the fraternal feelings that the boys have for each other. Um, And so my discussion with this other uh, person, I said, you know, my big frustration with um, Kira in the the S.C. Stevens books is I felt she was so passive. And not only was she passive, but she, her actions were ultimately rewarded with the love of her life, the the lover, not the boyfriend. Um, And, And and the reader disagreed with me. She said, you know, I think it's really reasonable to think about a girl, a young woman who moves uh, across the country for her boyfriend to um, turn to someone who's showing her affection and attention and that she was really emotionally torn up by the things that were happening to her. And that's true. And then the the following books, Effortless, and then the next book, all deal with the fallout of their cheating. Because uh, he is a musician and his band gets uh, signed to go on tour. And so he's gone from her. And he know- she knows that he cheated with her. And he knows that she cheated with him. And so the second book is a lot about their inability to trust each other. And I thought in that book, though, Effortless was not as emotionally resonant or strong as Thoughtless, which contained all this emotional angst about the cheating. So um, 
when I look back and like the success of S.C. Stevens books or when I think about infidelity and stories, I do think it's all about drawing out that emotional connection. And, um, you know, as much as I disliked Kira in the S.C. Stevens book, I couldn't stop reading that. In the uh, one of the most epic uh, romances I've ever read, which I think it's just a fantastic book, is The Bronze Horseman. It's this um, book set in uh, World War II between two Russians. And uh, it took a Keyshawn from Avid Reader is the person who convinced me to read this book many, many years ago. I want to say it was like 10, maybe, yeah, about 10 years ago. And I remember I had brought it um, with me to Italy. I went to with a friend and we went to visit her sister. The Bronze and, Horseman uh, is 10 years old? Oh, it has to be at least 10 years old, if Holy not older. Holy crap. Okay, I'm shutting up now, but dude. Okay, moving on. And I remember being so engrossed in this book. Like, we would be walking around Rome, and I would be, like, furtively reading this book. Like, we would stop, and um, I would pull out my book while we were waiting in line. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> I couldn't stop reading it. But in the third book, um, the... Uh, the couple eventually escapes after all this, I mean, truly dramatic uh, events occur, finally escape Russia and come to the United States. Um, but the transition um, from where they were and all the trauma, when all they could think of is, are we going to live the next five minutes? It was really difficult for them to adjust. And um, they come and they settle in Arizona and, they begin to have problems in their marriage. And there is infidelity, uh, both emotional and physical, that happen in this story. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like shouting to the book. And I'm saying, Shura, which is the hero's name. His name is um, Alexander, but she calls him Shura. Don't do it. And uh, he's so cold-blooded in, in how he's carrying out his assassination. And... He, you you know that he's going to regret it, and you you you've endured. Um, you know, I don't know. At this point, I've probably read fifteen hundred pages of Tashiana and Alexander, and <laughs> but I whenever I reread the series, I always read that part because even though it's emotionally heart wrenching, it was a really pivotal point in their relationship. So. As a general rule, I don't like infidelity. I prefer it not to happen uh, in my books. But handled correctly, it can be a very um, emotional period in the book. So that's what I have to say about that. What about you? One of the questions that I think it's Maisha asked in this email was why cheating is appearing in contemporary romances. Um, and whether it was a way to capture the idea of mistresses from historical romances. I honestly don't know. I don't like cheating books that much at all. I have a very hard time reading about infidelity as a cause of tension. Um, it it just doesn't appeal to me for all. Oh, just It's just not a heroic thing to do for me. And I have a very hard time with restoring a character who's made such a, such a choice. I don't know why there's an increase that you've seen in contemporary romances with cheating, but it could be because cheating happens a lot and it could be 
are like, like Jane said, it could be a really powerful way to create tension. As far as historical romances with with mistresses, I always remember when I started reading romance, all of the mistresses were very plucky and often blue stockings and secretly readers, and they were characters. And eventually the heroine and the mistress might meet and it would terrify the hero that maybe they would become friends and it would be terrifying even though they're across these huge social boundaries between them. They are so alike. And I remember one particular Catherine Coulter novel where I thought if those two hook up and have tea and scare the shit out of the hero, that would be awesome. The, 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 the mistress is always going to be thrown over. There's not going to be a, a romance and a historical that ends with the hero still having a mistress because that's just, that's just not going to work. The way that cheating tends to play out is one of two ways. Either one of the characters has been cheated on and have sworn off ever having a relationship ever again, ever, ever, ever. It's like the Taylor Swift model of cheating. They are never going to have another relationship ever, ever, ever. So if a woman has been cheated on, she's sworn off men. She's going to focus on herself. She's never going to have another relationship. And if a man has been cheated on, then all women are cheaters and he's never going to have a relationship. And, you know, Taylor Swift gets eight more songs out of these people. The the reason or the – this is kind of hard to describe. The motivation for the cheating can make a huge difference in whether or not I can tolerate reading the story. If the person who has been cheated upon is pissed off because the person who has done the cheating was theirs and somehow wasn't theirs anymore, like that person's a possession, I'm done. I have I, – I just, I just can't. All done. Hands up in the air. No more. Going to read something else. If the – if the root of the hurt is a sort of a sense of outrage, and sometimes it's written almost as this person was mine and then they cheated on me. And so I hate everyone, especially her, and she must burn. It's particularly women who do the cheating. If it's because she was a possession of the heroes, it just tends to make me really irritable. But what I struggle with is when a character has made a commitment and then breaks that commitment. So if they've committed to somebody and then they cheat on that person, that is such a huge failing for me that it's nearly impossible for a writer to rehabilitate that person to any state of heroism. And I mean that for men or for women, unless they're in a, in a relationship that's very casual or open and both parties are aware that the other people could be seeing other people. If, if a commitment has been broken, I have a really hard time believing that that person takes any other commitment seriously. So it's a real struggle for me to make it through the story to believe that there's going to be a happy ending. I have no idea why there might be this increase in cheating. It, like Jane said, it is a huge, um, huge source of emotional tension. And it creates a lot of insecurity in a relationship in a contemporary where there aren't always that many reasons why a relationship would be insecure in a contemporary setting. You you need to create some sort of power imbalance between them. Cheating is one way to do that. It's definitely not what I go for. However, if the heroine and the mistress get along awesomely in a historical, even though it's completely unlikely, I always tend to enjoy that in a sort of a sick, sick way. Shall you remember the mistresses being, as you described them, blue stocking, plucky? I actually remember them often being like hardened, um, uh, really attractive, and the heroine being the blue stocking plucky. I guess we must have read different historical I books. I think we did. I'm I'm trying desperately to remember the title of this particular Catherine Coulter, but I 
might have been Midsummer Magic, which is the first most one I read. Because most of the the most of the mistresses that I've read in historicals have been the traditional beautiful Mercenary. courtesans who yeah. present or or widows who present a um, and and are often uh, characterized as the slutty other woman. Yes. So yeah. I I have a different view of the historical mistress than you do. I mean, probably one of the most famous um, historical mistress books is the Mary Balog book. Um, in which the uh, character has his mistress for a good portion of the book after he gets married. And that's actually part of the whole conflict because that was what they did. That was the the manner in which they um, conducted their marriages, generally speaking. So it was really kind of an interesting um, period piece. But um, for contemporaries, I don't think it's... Um, the the mistress version of of cheating. Um, no, I don't think so either. And it, it it has a lot to do with drawing out the emotional connection. And I think you see actually more women cheating than you do men cheating. But I think it brings up the dark moment and allows a pivotal uh, um, turn in the relationship as the characters you know recognize their feelings for the other. Yep. And forces them to acknowledge and make a commitment that otherwise they may be breaking. Or one person thought they were breaking and the other did not. So this next message is from Jen. Dear Sarah and Jane, first, thank you so much for your great podcast. My only wish is that it came out more frequently, but seriously, as someone who knows firsthand how much work goes into this sort of production, I am delighted you managed to get it out as often as you do. Oh, you're welcome. My question is about male-male romance. I've only dipped my toe into it briefly, so I'm no expert. That's why I'm interested in your perspectives. I've been wondering if it's a little exploitative. It's been written, it's written mostly by women and for women, yet it's trying to portray all male-male relationships. Relationships that are often actively denigrated and devalued in real life. Something about women appropriating that voice makes me a little uncomfortable. Is it a positive thing for women? I presume mostly straight women, though that's just a guess, to co-opt gay romance like this? Are the portrayals really showing that more more people are comfortable with the idea of same-sex lovers, couples, etc.? Or is it just another example of making gay acceptable by forcing it into some heteronormative fantasy only with extra dicks? Obviously, human romantic relationships cross all boundaries and come in all forms, And reading about others who are different from you is wonderful and can genuinely broaden horizons. But is that what's going on here? Actually, I guess that is my real question. What is going on here? Why are women reading these books? What relationship does this have with real life attitudes and feelings, both from straight female readers and gay men? I would love to hear a discussion on this, but either way, I'll keep listening. So I forwarded this to Jane and I wrote, you wrote this letter, didn't you? Because this echoes a lot of what Jane has said previously about male-male romance. I, I feel that way. I, uh, I remember reading um, uh, Kay Mitchell's Collision Course with two of my gay friends, and uh, they laughed hysterically at it because they thought it was just so ridiculously wrong-headed portrayal of homosexual relationships. And uh, when I mentioned that in, in my review, people were like, well, these books aren't written for gay men. They're written for straight women. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea that that was the audience. Um, so ever since then, I've been really kind of disturbed by 
um, MM romance. And I particularly don't like it when these female authors talk about the authenticity of the gay lifestyle when, in fact, they don't live it. Um, but, you know, I appreciate that uh, MM romance can um, help to portray these relationships as normal and ordinary and just as um, worthy of attention as a, a heterosexual relationship. And so to the extent that I that those types of books do that, I think that's praiseworthy. But yeah, personally, I have a lot of issues with the co-opting of a um, of a marginalized group by a group with a greater power. Um, and you know, those are only my own issues with it. I don't read a lot of gay romance for that purpose. I also think, you know, there's, a, you know, some people who say, well, I read male, male romance because it's, there are so many more um, ways in which you can explore romance, power dynamics, um, and that it's a way to move yourself away from the misogynistic overtones of a regular romance. And I guess I find that a little hard to believe because when you have an MM romance, a lot of them, women are not erased, but they're not present. So it does, I don't really understand how that fights misogyny when you're talking about two males in a relationship that, that and there's no women involved at all. Um, and oftentimes women uh, in these books are cast as kind of like a um, overbearing or intrusive. Um, a lot of times there aren't any women even in the books, um, except on the periphery. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of gay for you stories, which I think are kind of silly, but for you, like I like straight, I'm, I'm straight otherwise, except for you. Right. Ah, there's a lot. There's a lot of those. You broke the... my pendulum. Woo! Now I'm gay. <laughs> but there are really some really good writers also who are writing great stories. And um, if that's the type of story that they want to re read and, and you want to read a really great story, there are some particularly talented authors writing in that subgenre. It's true. My answer to, to Jen's question is, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why women like to read these books. And I don't know because I haven't read every single male, male romance or even enough for me to make what I feel would be an educated uh, opinion. I don't know enough about the genre in its entirety to say what's going on within it. There are very few authors that I will read who write male, male. And the reason that I'm picky doesn't actually have anything to do with heteronormativity or, or co-opting another community, but it's because too often these books do two things wrong. And I know that I've talked about this before, so I'll be very brief. One, often they, the, the plot of the book will make it sound as if coming out is something that happens once and then once you do it, you're good. And it's just not that way. Um, in my understanding, and I'm not homosexual, when you come out, you have to do it over and over and over and over. Every new person, every new job, every new situation, there's going to be a point where you have to come out because the default in our culture is heterosexual and you have to identify yourself as homosexual. Um, every now and again on Twitter, I'll make references to Iron Lesbian 1 and Iron Lesbian 2. I was the matron of honor in their union ceremony 
and can I just say matron of honor is like the worst title ever. I just, I felt like I needed a giant ugly sequin dress to be a successful matron, also a turban, maybe vouchers at all max. But anyway, I was the matron of honor in their union ceremony and my friend, Iron Lesbian too. So she comes out at least once a month to somebody at some point because the default assumption is that you're straight. And so when you are not straight, you still have to come out in big ways and little ways. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's really tense and it's not something that just happens once. And so often in gay, gay, in gay, gay, nice, gay, gay romances, <laughs> in male, male romances, you have characters that are struggling to come out and then they come out and they have great sex and it's all good. Yay. And they're done. And that's just not how it is. And it makes me really frustrated because that's completely inaccurate. And I think an unfair portrayal of what actually happens when you are gay in a culture that tends to subjugate gay culture or gay people. The other problem I have is that homophobia is, in my opinion, never fully represented and how dangerous and deadly and lethal homophobia can be. And in some stories that are, you know, funny and light that that there might not be room for homophobia, but there are situations where I've read and, and, and what was clearly a homophobic act is not even looked at or discussed or even labeled that way. And I felt like, are we living in a fantasy land where there is no homophobia? Because I can't get on board with that. On the other hand, I want to believe that people have the best of intentions. And I want to believe that people who decide to write gay romance, male, male, or female, female, or polyamorous with lots of dicks and other people do, I want to believe they have the best of intentions and they're not trying to exploit or make money by forcing a heteronormative fantasy onto men or women. And I want to believe that people are genuinely interested in exploring these stories and aren't doing so with any obvious or unconscious intention of fetishizing something. Sometimes when I read male-male romance, I do feel like it's being fetishized, and I don't read those authors as a result. I think it is enormously powerful to present gay relationships as normal, especially to readers who may not ever otherwise see an, a normal relationship played out between two men or two women. I live in a part of the country where my kids go to school with kids who have two dads, two moms, one mom, two dads, a couple of steps. We have a whole lot of different family combinations. And I take it for granted that not everyone has that kind of community around their families and that family does not have such a fluid definition in other parts of the world. So for you, could, if you can read about those situations in fiction, it makes a difference. And one way that you can see that difference is the number of straight people who now lobby for gay rights because... If just gay people were lobbying for, lobbying for gay rights, we wouldn't get very far. But if straight people get on board and argue also for gay rights, then, then everyone has more rights. And that's awesome. If fiction has any role in broadening that perspective, I am totally down with it. However, I completely understand your discomfort. I completely get it. It is really difficult to figure out the intentions of the writer. And I try really hard not to because I can't ever guess. And I'm, if I do, I'm never right. I want to believe that people have the best of intentions. I do sometimes encounter the fetishizing of gay relationships. I will say, and I am struggling how to write this review if I even write it, I was sent a, a male-male romance, it was about last week, and I am going to sound like such a prude, and I am going to reinforce everything you have ever thought, Jane, about me reading erotic romance when I tell you this, and I, I swear I am not a prude at all. I, I can read erotic romance, I can read all the funky things. But the sex scenes in this book made me nauseous. I could not read them. 
because the author relied so heavily on smell to describe what was going on that I was nauseous. I just, I could not read them. There was one scene where the hero has an obsession with ball licking and there's this huge, this incredibly intense, like pages and pages of descriptions of ball obsession and blowjobs and ball licking that, oh God, I just, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little queasy just thinking about it. It really just so much reliance on this, on smell. I could not read it. And then in, in another scene, the one character is is um, licking the other man's asshole, and he says something about how he smelled of growing things. And I was like, "What fungus? What dirt? Trees? What?" I could not handle the reliance on smell, and I could not make it through the sex scenes. And there were so many sex scenes, and they went on for so many pages that I had to stop reading it because the book was literally making me ill. And I I felt terrible about myself that I couldn't finish this book. Like my stomach should be stronger. I should be able to handle this. This is something I should be able to read. I was not enjoying it. And I am not a person who has any problems with gay relationships or gay sex or anything like that. But, oh, God, I should make you read this book, I think. I'm surprised you read any sex scenes because there's so many things that turn you <laughs> off. It's not just a turning turning me off. I tend to get I tend to get irritated with sexual cliches like pebbled nipples and whatnot. But. I think it's because I have read so much romance at this point that the thing that is the most repetitive is the sex scenes. I think it was Susan Donovan who said, there's only so many ways you can describe all these parts. We're going to start repeating them soon. I get that. But cliches tend to yank me out of a story. It is, there are not sexual depictions that I don't enjoy. There are, there's not a huge list of things that I don't like. The reliance on smell was um, a little bit more than my stomach could handle. It's otherwise, it's just, it has nothing to do with being repulsed or revolted. It's the repetitive, cliched monotony of all of the sex after a while. Real quick, do you want to tell me what you're reading right now? I don't know what I can actually share with you. Are you reading books from like August already? Kinda. <laughs> I was rereading. I did this post on exaggeration for Dear Author. and I, I saw it. Re it was really, really good. Well done. So I was rereading the J.R. Ward books. Speaking of exaggeration and overcompensation. Which was actually kind of fun. I totally started losing interest about um, book, I think it was seven. But on the second time around, I really enjoyed it, Revenge's book. So I think um, there's about three or four books in that series that I really like. And then the, I just didn't have very much interest in the other ones. Well, I just finished reading The Devil's Delilah by Loretta Chase, which I really, really enjoyed and was interesting because it featured a nerd hero, a very beta, very nerdy, very bookish hero who's very devious and I liked him very much. So now I'm reading um, Sarah McLean's new book, which I can see the cover and can't remember the title, Story of My Life. I think it's One Good Earl Deserves a Lover. Yeah, One Good Earl Deserves a Lover. And can I just say I'm kind of over the pun titles? Like, I'm kind of over them entirely. We can stop with them now. Um, in this book, the heroine is very bookish and very, very smart and is terrified because she's about to get married. She's committed to marrying someone. And she knows nothing about how to be a wife and how to be a mother, and she knows nothing about sex, and no one will tell her because it's improper. But for her, from her scientific perspective, if she knows, she'll know what to do, and she'll know what to expect. And 
there's no she has no knowledge which is not a position that she finds terribly secure and is frankly terrified so she's willing to do some outrageously um brave things to go and find this knowledge because no one will tell her my biggest frustration so far and i'm not that far in is that even her sisters who are already married can't unwind enough can't unbend enough to tell her what to expect which i think is really cruel and a needless suspension of the of the tension of her lack of knowledge but i also respect the heroine a lot because she has made a commitment to the person that she's going to marry even though he is not very bright and she does not particularly love him and she's not attracted to him she said that she would and he asked her to marry him and she doesn't think anyone would else would ask her and she gave her word and her word is important and she's going to keep it even though she's terribly attracted to this other guy who runs a gaming hell and is related to a hero from a previous book that I didn't read. She initially proposes to him that he tell her or show her, I guess, through illustrations, how sex works. And he said no. But she's pretty relentless. He's now furious that she's continuing to pursue this knowledge without his permission or without outside of him because he's terrified she's going to be ruined and mess up her life. The the thing that I'm struggling with is that this could very easily turn into a cheating story. <laughs> I don't really want it to, but I'll keep reading because reading a nerd hero and then reading a nerd heroine is actually kind of fun. Did you read this one? I said they were going to review it for Dear Author, so I did not. You did not? <sighs> I, I so enjoyed Sarah McLean's earlier books. This one does not have that same level of magic that I liked in the other ones. And like I said, I'm sort of over the punny titles. They can be done now. Did you read the statistical probability at Love at First Sight, the YA you told me about? Yeah, I did. Did you like it? No. Oh, no. Why not? Because you spend 80% of the time um, hating the father who cheated um, of the female teen protagonist, and then 20% of the time having her forgive him. And it just happened so quickly. Um, I wasn't there. For it. And I didn't think it was particularly romantic. I'm surprised people say it was really romantic because I didn't Aww. think I thought the romance was really tacked on and pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it was overall a disappointing book. I don't um, and I paid uh, full price for it. So I was going to say it was <laughs> not a cheap book. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably not going to read the second book. Bummer. I hope whatever you're reading now is enjoyable, even if it's from November of next year. Yeah. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. This week's music was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is called Dragons by a Parisian group called Caravan Palace. And we'll have information in the entry about where you can find this song and more information about the group at their website and on iTunes. If you would like to contact us with your own questions or you want to ask us anything about romance or even ask for book recommendations, we both really enjoy doing that, you can reach us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call us on our Google Voice number, which is 1201371DBSA. You can also find us on the Facebook page for the podcast, which is facebook.com slash DBSA podcast. I post links to each new episode and answer questions there too, if you have any. Mostly, we really like hearing from you because to our surprise, the audience for the podcast continues to grow and... You guys say really nice things about it. So thank you very much for that. And thank you for all of the reviews you've left online that I recently discovered. I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't look earlier, but still, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was really cool. Future podcasts will involve more listener mail, 
and author interviews and discussions about romance novels because that's what we do here. If you have a suggestion, email us or call us. We'd love to hear from you. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. 